Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, this is Daniel Markin, and today on the episode, I have Greg Steer. You're going to hear some amazing stories. Greg runs a ministry called Dare to Share. You might have the book on your shelf. Maybe you've read it. Maybe you're familiar with his ministry, but uh, we're chatting with him. We're talking about what it means to share the gospel. If you're high school youth age, or if you're even young adult age, how do you share the gospel right now in our crazy world? And so hope you find this episode helpful. Welcome to In Doubt. My name is Daniel Markin, and I'm joined today by Greg Steer. Greg is an author, speaker, former pastor, evangelist. I mean, am I missing anything here? I can work the nunchucks pretty well. The nunchucks? How about a samurai sword? Have you uh, no, got a little bit of nope. um, nope. No, no samurai training? That's okay. Greg, thank you for joining us here on the program. Um, for our listeners who might not know who you are, um, would you please give us a little bit of a, a brief bio of, of you know what you're about? Well, you know, I'm married. I have uh, two kids. One's 20, one's 16. Uh, I lead a ministry called Dare to Share. Uh, we've trained and equipped millions of teenagers around the world, prim- primarily in the United States for our first 25 years. Uh, but we've really been going global the last five to six years, curriculum, resources, apps, events, trying to mobilize a generation for the gospel. So we, we believe in the power of the gospel and the potential of teenagers. That's our deal. It's a great deal. Uh, first, let me ask you this, though. I mean, you're in Colorado. Yes. And uh, we're up in Canada. So, you know, some similarities there, some skiing, some snow. Colorado is amazing. But have you been up to Canada with yes. some of your, your time? Yeah. Yeah, I love Canada. Uh, we were in BC uh, and Thetis Island, which is just out of there. And then we went up to Whistler as a family. And I've done some preaching in Toronto area. And yeah, we're we're actually... I do a live simulcast called Dare to Share Live, and it used to be October 13th. We moved it to November 13th because we discovered we were on Canadian Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> so this year we're at November 13th, and we'll be mobilizing teenagers from coast to coast in you know Colorado, United States, and and Canada. It's gonna be it's gonna be a party, and we will not be on canadian thanksgiving which is great (laughs) let me ask you this between the united states and between canada what are some of the differences or maybe similarities you've seen among the youth working with youth working with young adults in canada and in the united states well i think the similarities is you know america is a little bit behind but uh, in the same trajectory of kind of this post-christian generation of young people that actually have a pretty blank slate when it comes to you know, Jesus and the gospel message. They may have heard of Jesus, but they don't have what we would say gospel fluency like a generation ago. And obviously... What would gospel fluency be? What would gospel fluency? Just let me ask that. Just being able to understand like the basic storyline of the Bible, you know, 40, 50 years ago, it was just kind of commonplace. You know, people knew who Noah was, Adam and Eve. There's teenagers today that don't know who Jesus is uh, in in the United States and in Canada and Europe. I mean, it's almost like an unreached people group, uh, Generation Z. And so I, I really feel like we need to we need to attack it like missionaries. We need to really paint the story of Christianity in a unique and powerful and biblical way. Mm-hmm. 
It's a beautiful story. It's a love story. What I, what I find is when I when I talk to teenagers and explain Christianity as a relationship with God, not a religion, that God loved us, but there was a breakup, sin, right? Uh, and no no religious acts or good deeds could ever bring us back to Him, but God sacrificed His own Son to pay the price for our sin. Christ rose from the dead and brings us back together to God if we put our faith and trust in Him, and that relationship is restored. I mean. I find teenagers who've never really understood that message intrigued at the minimum, like, wow, I, I never heard it put that way. And I've done evangelism in Canada as well as, you know, a lot in the United States, as well as in Europe. And everywhere I go, I, I think we just need to reframe the gospel message as a relationship with God, not a religion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's and it, and it happens to be true. You know, it's based in history and fact. Yeah. And I want to ask you this. Do you find that there's animosity towards like spirituality? Because oftentimes when you hear people sharing their faith, like I'm scared I'm going to be rejected, right? We, we, we're scared that we're going to be shouted down by a lot of, of people. But it seems to, to me at least, maybe in Canada, kind of in Vancouver, that a lot of people, like, like you mentioned, really don't even know much about Christianity. They think we're kind of like Ned Flanders, yeah. right? Yeah. Like they, they have no real uh, understanding of it. But what I'm seeing now is most people just they're not they're not angry at christians they're kind of just indifferent like they don't really care do you find the same thing yeah i think so and i think you know obviously there's a lot of reactions to evangelical christians that are viewed as uh, sometimes a political block or known what we're against, known more for what we're against than the gospel of christ what we're for um but the gospel message itself i think people are intrigued by jesus and open to that to at least engage with with the message of the gospel you know, one of the things we do at Dare to Share is we have an app called Life in Six Words, where we ask, I ask people, if you were to describe your life in six words, what would they be? There's 14 words for them to choose on the app, and they choose the words, and I just ask them, tell me why you chose those words. And in the next five to 10 minutes, I discover their story. Then I share, I ask if I could share with my six words, and then can I share the Bible six words? And by that time, we're having a conversation. It's no longer a presentation, and I just swipe through it and you know share the gospel and i've never been turned down in hundreds of times using that app to engage with somebody in a conversation and it naturally goes into a spiritual conversation so i think you're right it's how we how we engage with people one of the things we talk about at dare to share is ask admire admit ask questions admire what you can about what they believe find common ground like paul did in act 17 and then admit the reason you're a Christian is you, you desperately needed Jesus to save you. And then share your story and share the gospel story. And and they may not accept it on the spot, but I think reframing that gospel message as good news to a person who's never heard it before is a giant step in the right direction. Absolutely. And you don't know the seeds that you might have just planted there. Um, because one of the things I have been frustrated with in, in evangelism is this this expectation that the moment you talk to someone, you have to have the entire gospel message uh, planned out perfectly with all the questions in line that you can ask people in order to reach them to a conversion in a five-minute conversation. Now, I know that like people like Ray Comfort are incredibly gifted in that and actually like have mastered the the way of doing that. You know, he's an evangelist, often going to college campuses, but he's also really caring and loving and unique in that way. But I feel like that puts a lot of pressure on on people, especially youth, to feel like I have to know all this stuff and now I have to convince them on the spot to become a Christian. And I like what you're saying there. We basically 
It's entering into a journey or entering into a relationship with them, a friendship with them to pursue further discussion. Well, I would say yes. And last night, okay, I'm in Dallas, Texas, and I'm we are at a restaurant and we're just talking to uh, Jennifer, the server, started talking about the gospel. She was so intrigued. She, I mean, literally was this close to putting her faith in Christ. We weren't pressuring her. Uh, but her friend who was a server has been working on her. She came over, gave us extra large cut of cherry cobbler pie because we were sharing Christ with her. <laughs> and we had no idea she was a Christian. Well, she's going to follow up with her. I think I think that not everybody's going to come to Christ right away, but we have to be ready. Sometimes you shake the tree and the fruit just falls. And I think the other side of that is we don't want to miss an opportunity to give that so what I do is when I share the gospel with somebody, I say, does that make sense? And if they say yes, I say, is there anything holding you back from trusting in Jesus right now? I like that question because it's just enough pressure, but it's not manipulation. Yeah. It's like, it's asking honestly. And I've, I've seen people go, yeah, there are, there are some roadblocks. Well, let's talk about that and or continue talking about that. Or you know what? There's no reason I couldn't trust in Christ right now. You don't want to miss that opportunity either on the other side of that, because that may be the moment of their salvation that all those past conversations others have had have led up to. So there's a balance. And I, I use the illustration of a teeter-totter. You want to be relational and relentless. And if we're more relational, we tend not to ask the hard questions. Um, and if we're more relentless, we tend not to ask you know, um, and listen well. So whatever side of the teeter-totter you're on, just ask the Holy Spirit to sit on the other side. <laughs> yeah. You know, I like that. I'm more relentless, but God has used my wife to make me more relational. She's more relational. God has used me to help her become a little bit more relentless. So there's that balance. Absolutely. And there's a there's a partnership there, right? It doesn't ride on us. It's ultimately the work of God, work of the Holy Spirit moving through people. And for me, that takes the pressure off hugely, right? It's like, we, I just got to be faithful in communicating and ask the Lord to be doing the rest. Um, and I like what you're saying about being relentless because, you know, I think deep down, most people really do actually enjoy deep conversations and we just don't have them that often, right? And this, and this Daniel, this is where gospel fluency is important for the Christian because we find a lot of Christians could not clearly explain the gospel. And I think that's true, not just with young Christians. It's true with people who've been in a church for years. In Old Testament, New Testament, they used to memorize creeds. You look in the New Testament, there's little creedal statements. We have the apostolic creed. So we developed a, a gospel creed for young people to actually, we have. We encourage them to memorize it, but not articulate it like it's memorized, like chords on a guitar. Get the chords down, then you can play beautiful music. So it, it actually is an acrostic that spells gospel. God created us to be with him. Genesis 1 and 2. Oh, is our sin separated us from God? Genesis 3. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Genesis 4 through Malachi 4, paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Everyone that trusts in him alone has eternal life, John. And life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever, Acts and Revelation. So it's really kind of a chronological meta narrative that we distilled into six points that we have students, teenagers, memorize, practice until they can play it like music. So when they're in those long conversations, they kind of got a mental outline they're able to walk through and explain the gospel message in a clear and cogent way. Some, there's a handful of teenagers that that just are more savants. They're just gospel savants. They don't need they just got it. 
that's a that's an exception rather than the rule. Mm-hmm. I like what you're talking about there with equipping, and that's huge. I think a lot of people might not give high school students enough credit, right? Because we think, oh, they don't know anything. You know, they're so young. But I'm sure from your experience, you've seen the opposite. Like you equip them, you train them. They're bold. They, you know, are willing to go and, and be missional with their friends. So here's the deal. Like November 13th, we'll do Dare to Share Live. Mm-hmm. We right now have almost 700 churches just in the U.S. signed up. And on one day, they'll engage their friends through social media and gospel conversations. They'll text a friend. They'll go out and do a service project where they just have gospel conversations with people, prayer, care, and share. And they'll come back with stories, significant stories. And they they get pumped. I think teens are looking. We need to reframe the Great Commission as the greatest cause because it is. Go and make disciples. And I tell men, you can stop human trafficking and soul trafficking. You can, you know, give the hungry bread and the bread of life, water and the living water, you know, and bringing that together. And I think that's true with teenagers and 20-somethings as well. Especially with Generation Z. There seems to be a real desire to, to be actively engaged in these sort of causes. And I like that, that you're framing it as a cause. It's true. It is, right? And it's especially if you if we believe as Christians that the kingdom of God is breaking into our world, right? That we are ambassadors of this. It's like, this is our cause, right? We are representing the king. So let's go and do that well. I love that, Daniel, because one of the things I tell youth leaders is your teenagers are looking for a king, a cause, and a crew. King Jesus, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, here's your cause. Go and make disciples, right? And here's how you do it. And guess what? I'm part of your crew. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You give teens a king, cause, and crew, they become unstoppable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. Um, we could talk a lot about this, but I do want to jump into uh, some of your, your new book that you have coming out because you've done writing before. And how is this book different from some of the other ones that you've written in the past? And would you just give us a brief sort of synopsis on that? Sure. I, you know, I've written 20 books, but it's been mostly to teenagers and youth leaders. Um, cause that's, that's what I do. I'm the dare to share guy. I'm like Liam Neeson and take, and I have a very particular set of skills, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, this is my first general market book for adults. It's called unlikely fighter. And it's a memoir, which sounds weird coming out of my mouth, but here's the deal. It's 22 chapters long. The first 21 chapters happened before I turned 16. So it's really about being raised as a fatherless kid in the inner city, in a very violent family, the Denver mafia, the small bones. Nicknamed my uncles the Crazy Brothers. Three of my uncles were competitive bodybuilders. The fourth one was a bouncer at the toughest bar in Denver. The fifth one was a gold gloves boxer, judo champion, a war hero. My mom was the only girl in the group, and they were all afraid of her. (laughs) Um, And in and out of jail, cops over all the time, a lot of blood and violence I saw growing up. I was a one-night stand, basically. I never met my biological father. Mom was a partier. I was a result of the party. She drove from Denver to Boston to have an illegal abortion change your mind last minute, came back, had me. So my, I was, and I was like a, a non-atheistic young Sheldon in the hood. I was a bookish, quiet kid that did not fit into my family. And I was terrified of my family, of my neighborhood. I didn't know why I was here. And one of my uncles gave me a present in front of the family on Christmas, and it was a doll. And I was like, why is this a doll? He goes, I figured you don't have a dad, so you like to play with dolls like a little girl. I was like six years old at the time. Wow. And I shoved it in the stomach. I go, I'm not a girl. 
But it began, everybody's like, maybe he's one of us after all. You see that temper? It began a search for identity. Who am I? How do I get in this family? Who is God? Why am I here? And that search, you know, was fulfilled 10 years later uh, over the course of that 10 years. So it's about how a preacher from the suburbs who was from the deep South, whose nickname was Yankee for some reason, reached my toughest uncle with the gospel of Christ. And one by one, my family was radically transformed by the power of the gospel. So in that 10 year period, I watched the utter radical transformation of the toughest guys you could imagine through the power of the gospel. And Yankee, this preacher had a youth group and I went to his youth group. I was trained, equipped to share my faith and mobilized. That's where I got the, here's where the king, cause and crew. I had my king, my cause, I had my crew. And his fatherless, scared little kid from the hood, all of a sudden had everything I need for life and godliness, found my identity. So really the book is about the power of the gospel and the potential of, of young people and how the gospel changes everything, everything. Wow. That's a, that's a crazy story. If stories like that feel like they're seldom to come by. And I'm happy that you're writing about this because I think we need to hear more of these stories um, because right now, oftentimes we don't hear uh, a lot of these stories of amazing faith because we think that some people are unreachable, right? We think that sometimes, you know, I'm not going to go to these people in the hood because they're just going to reject the gospel, right? I'd rather just stay safe and reach the other kids, maybe at my school or like my neighbor, but I'm not going to go to those people. And so I think, you know, did you ever experience some of that? Like as you were looking for identity and faith, I mean, this, this guy Yankee was coming to, to be with your family, but did you ever feel like, why is the church not reaching out to me? No, see, we, we were those people. I mean, we were those people. And the reason Yankee came is because there was a guy named Bob Daly who knew my uncle Jack, who was the toughest one of my uncles, spent time in prison for choking two cops unconscious at the same time. On a dare, he dared Yankee. Bob Daly dared Yankee to go talk to my uncle Jack, went to his door. Jack, no shirt on, opens the door, tattoos everywhere, huge guy. What do you want? He goes, I'm here on a dare from Bob Daly to tell you about Jesus. He goes, I don't know if Jesus, I know Bob, I'll give you five minutes. Sat down, explain the gospel that Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for those people. He said, does that make sense? Hell yeah, was his answer. He put it, that was the sinner's prayer was, hell yeah. He put his faith in Christ, brought 250 people out to our uh, Yankees church in one month. My uncle Bob fully surrendered to Christ in the back of a squad car after he beat a guy to death, went to Florida Bible College. I get, every one of my family members a radical transformation because somebody was willing to reach out to those people. We were those people. Who did Jesus come to reach? He came to reach the bad, the broken, the bullied, and the bullies. So I tell teenagers, look for that kid sitting by themselves at the cafeteria. Too. Look for the poor in spirit, those who know they have a need. It's hard, hard, hard to reach rich people, upper class, you know, middle class people with the gospel. Poor people, speaking as a guy who was raised in apartment complexes and trailer courts, are more open to the gospel. Jesus came to preach to the poor. You know, Spurgeon, when he took over the church in South London, somebody asked him, why did you start a church in the worst part of London? He said, if you want to set a house on fire, start the fire in the basement because fire burns up. And uh, so we have to go to those people. And we were those people. And once those people get a hold of something, they go crazy in all the right ways. They want everyone to know. And it just, yeah, it was, it was, it was so awesome being raised in this family. 
and seeing the power of the gospel. I knew by the time I was 15, I was going to be a preacher because of it. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Uh, as you think about youth, as you think about young adults and the, the crazy world we're living in right now, what are some of the, the, the more pressing questions that youth and young adults should, should be preparing answers for? Because maybe as they start sharing the gospel, right, um, I can think of things from all sorts of, for example, um, LGBTQ issues, right? Or they might have issues around depression and, and suicide, anxiety, right? What are some things that, along with the gospel, that we can actually be incorporating into our evangelism, but some things that we should be well-versed on um, as leaders, as youth, as young adults um, emerging in this culture? You know what's interesting? I I did a podcast with Louis Giglio a couple months back, and I asked him, how's the spiritual climate among, you know, college age, 20-something? He goes, Greg, I've never seen a generation that has been more open to talk about life and death heaven and hell even than this generation because because of covid and it was interesting you know i said you know i was a pastor you're a pastor when you do a funeral service everybody's open to talk they're thinking about their own mortality this has been like a global funeral service where i think people are really actually more open to talk about life and death and you know a simple way to get in there. I mean, it's something I use all the time is, hey, is there any way I can be praying for you? And it's all of a sudden you become the priest, right? And and they're like, well, actually, and sometimes they, you know, open up about some of their fears, uh, some of the challenges if they lost somebody during COVID and, and just turn that, make a salvation segue, you know, toward, toward Jesus and, um, you know, make it conversational. So I, I do think, I think the key to really get an evangelism down to being sensitive to the spirit of God and taking whatever subject and turning it toward Christ. You know, uh, that old quote that somebody said, Spurgeon said, I can't find it in Spurgeon sermons, but he did it all the time. I take my text and I make a beeline for the cross. So whatever we're talking about it, you know, just asking God to open that pathway up to, to get him to Jesus and the cross because it is so important. And we can do it in a loving way. We don't have to yell at people. My goodness. I, I go confront the people who are yelling at people on the streets. I'm like, dude, how much success have you had doing this? Well, you don't know anything about it. I go, I lead a ministry called Dare to Share. We've been doing this for 30 years. I've trained millions of teenagers. I know a little bit about it. You know, talk to people, love people, care about people, engage with them. Yeah. You know, I was literally watching videos of street preachers last night and it just... Not, not not planning for to talk about this, but it is something that I'm I'm always I, I it makes me sad because it feels like they're really maximizing on the relentless, but not on the relational at all. And and I'm with you. It's like yeah, the Lord could use that, but how much success are they having? Because it doesn't. It's like okay, no, I'm doing it from a place of love. Okay, but is that being communicated from? Does, does that look like to them that it's coming from a place of love? Exactly. Right. Because yeah, we like to, yeah. to say we like to say hard things, right? Like, oh no, I'm I'm saying a hard thing because I love them, and it's like, do you? Do you really? You know, it, if you love them, you're going to engage them in a way that they're going to listen. And I was in the years ago at Pearl Street Mall in Boulder, and there was a street preacher, and he was yelling at everybody, and I just went in the crowd. There's probably seventy three people yelling at him it was very antagonistic but i was able to engage in conversations i actually was able to lead four people to christ in the crowd by simply saying hey what do you think of this guy well he's a jerk i go what do you think you think jesus would 
do it this way? And I'm like, no, I don't think Jesus would do it. And I go, you know, matter of fact, and afterward I came up to him and I go, hey, how did it go? And he goes, yeah, nobody trusted Christ. I got persecuted. I go, I led four people to Christ while you were yelling at him. And he goes, what? How'd you do that? And I said, I'll train you if you try it. And I trained him and we engaged a guy who was walking down the Pearl Street Mall. And he, I don't think he trusted Christ, but he was, he talked. He goes, well, forget this street preaching stuff. I'm doing this. He was a sincere guy just doing the only thing he knew how to do. But yeah, I think, again, that's the rarity. The, the, the average Christian just doesn't share the gospel at all. So I would just encourage you to bring it up. You know, we, we have a saying at Dare to Share, awkward is awesome. Because Jesus was the, he was the prince of peace and the king of awkward. You know, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. The dude you're shacking up with now is not your husband. Awkward, right? But that's where change happens. Lean into the awkward. Lovingly lean into the awkward, and God will do his thing. Absolutely. Um, let me give you the last word. Uh, as you think about us in Canada, as you think about um, youth and young adults, what encouragement, what, what would you want to encourage us with, uh, us Canadians up here? I love Canadians, by the way. So here's the encouragement I would give you. We are sitting on a sleeping giant. That is young people. That if you could, if they can embrace the gospel, Christian young people can embrace it as their cause and be mobilized to engage in loving conversations. That the power of the gospel is the game changer. And you don't, it doesn't matter if if a 12-year-old girl or a 30-year-old Marine pulls the pin on a grenade, it's going to explode. And the gospel is explosive, and it will change lives. We just need to pull the pin and duck, and God's going to do his thing. So, man, start praying about the people you want to reach, and go for it. Go for it. And God can use you in a powerful way. Amen. Amen. Well, Greg, thank you for being on the program, and thank you for joining us. And Man, I look forward to talking again. Uh, this was amazing for me, and uh, I learned a lot through this. And so looking to apply this uh, in ministries and hoping that anyone listening to this too will, will take it to heart and uh, definitely go out and, and find your book. Where can they find your resources? Yeah, just anywhere. You go to Amazon. You look, just Google Unlikely Fighter, Greg Steer, S-T-I-E-R. And every just, just so you know, every dollar and dime goes back into the ministry. I don't take any of it. Um, never have of any of the stuff. I just want to reach a generation with the gospel. I think, I think people that read it are going to be encouraged, deeply encouraged about the power of the gospel. So amazing. Hey, thank you for joining us. And we'll talk to you later. Thanks for the opportunity, Daniel. Well, thanks again for listening. That was Greg Steer. And if you're looking to find any more resources, maybe some of his books, podcasts, Greg's all over YouTube, but his website is dare the number two share.org. So dare to share.org. You can find all the stuff there. Well, that's all we have for you today. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. All the best. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.